I think our ambition is to build a bank the world loves to use. And uh, this is what we're working on all day because banking is, to be honest, these days, not very user-friendly, uh, especially coming from the traditional banks. So actually, it's very hard to open a bank account. Uh, you have to go through so many painful steps. So what we want to do is actually just make banking super easy and help people to make better financial decisions in their life. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Today, I'm thrilled to have Christina Walker-Meyer on the podcast. Christina is the product lead for N26, a mobile banking company that I think you'll love. Christina, welcome to the show. So great having you here, and thank you for joining our podcast. On How I Grew This, we focus both on personal growth as well as growth around the company. And I'd love to start with your background, your own personal and career growth. Tell us a little bit about that. Hi, Mara. First of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm super excited about our podcast. Um, I feel super honored to tell, speak here about my personal journey. And um, yeah, so I think my personal career um, started in a very traditional kind of business environment. Uh, so I started in a text consultation company. And after a while, um, they asked me if I would like to join their management consulting team. Um, and it was basically after my bachelor. So it was a great chance for me to actually, um, yeah, join some very interesting project with a lot of uh, experienced people. Um, while doing that, I figured out that the whole strategic thinking part is something that I'm really excited about. Um, also solving problems was something um, which was really super interesting to me. However, after a few months, um, I also figured out that maybe the environment is not making me very happy. I was actually, I had a two weeks break and I was traveling to the US and while having a lot of uh, road trips, I really figured out, is it really the right environment for me? And is it really what makes me happy? And uh, then uh, I decided to actually give it a break and uh, do something I was pretty sure I would not like. <laughs> what was it? And uh, this was for me... <laughs> This was for me taking on another internship because more or less this year between my, my bachelor and my master's was over. So I decided to take another internship and actually try out marketing because marketing was something that I really hated to the bone in my, during my studies because it just came along with a lot of multiple choice exams and it was just not <laughs> something I was naturally super interested in because I was rather kind of a mathematical person. And then I uh, joined a mobile agency back in the days in 2010 they were focusing on building mobile websites and mobile apps as marketing tools, basically, for big brands, like a lot of automotive brands, um, uh, Procter & Gamble, for example, like really large, large companies. Uh, and yeah, it was an exciting time, I would say. Back in 2010, uh, when everyone thought mobile is kind of this add-on, um, it's something that you do on the side, but it's not really important. And yeah, I mean, here we are, 2020. <laughs> I'm working for a mobile first bank. So yeah, it was a really exciting time back in the days. What was your role in the internship? So how did, what was the first, you know, that's how you started in the marketing. What was, what did you do for the agency? 
Actually, my very first day was I came in, I said hi to everyone. And um, maybe my first impression was always, wow, these people wear normal clothes. They don't come in suits. Versus consulting, <laughs> right? I used to be a consultant, so I totally understand when I join a startup after. <laughs> They're like also women. It's not just like old men. They're also like women. It was a super exciting environment for me. Also, they're like, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool environment. And uh, I think after one hour, my my boss back in the day said, oh, come in. We have a call with one of the biggest telecommunications companies in, in Europe. And like, this was my second hour in the company. And I was like, why would I join this call? Right. Um, because I was just not used to that. Like, like after one hour in, on your first day, like uh, participating in this kind of meetings. And he even introduced me uh, as like, yeah, this is our new colleague. That's Christina. And uh, she will support me in this project. And uh, yeah, I felt like directly as part of the team. And uh, yeah, from that moment on, I was actually responsible for um, yeah supporting my boss in this project. But I was more or less like, you know, the owner of it and made sure that everyone contributed and created the slides, but also I could really bring up my own ideas and learn a lot how you approach those big topics. So yeah, from the very first moment on, I was really part of the team and could move things forward. And this uh, six, I think it was planned as a six or eight weeks internship, like just between the break. Um, and it actually became, uh, first of all, a working student job. Basically, then I became a part-time employee. And uh, then in the end, I never left, I, I would say, the mobile the mobile, the mobile space. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So then you went to business school uh, and after business school, you ended up at Zalando, right? No, not directly. Actually, um, I started working at uh, uh, Icon Mobile for quite some time. And uh, afterwards, I joined basically a competitor agency. Uh, I actually... A very interesting fact, I signed with Salando back in the days, but then I decided again to join another agency. And retrospectively, that was the best decision I could make um, because what I believe on agency side, especially if you're like um, on a very early stage in your career, it's very powerful to learn about how different industries are approaching different problems differently. And I think until today, um, even though I'm working now on one product, it really helps me to apply different approaches to things that I really learned across different in industries. So I think um, it was a well-invested another two and a half years in an agency. Um, but then after a while, I was wondering, hmm, we, we're building all those great concepts and all those great apps, but what actually happens to them afterwards? We never knew <laughs> because uh, normally the clients that we had, we usually offered analytics and tracking and these kind of things, but usually it was the first thing that got deprioritized. Got it. Back in the days, I have to admit, I, I think the mindset even on, on brand side has shifted very much exactly. And I think also the marketing managers, they need to prove that their actions actually were successful. But back in the days, you know, everyone just wanted to have an app. And I think the success was to have an app. Yeah, definitely. We've seen this, this, uh, this, the way that mobile has grown in the early days. I think big yeah. brands uh, outsourced the app to agencies and didn't care that much. They just want to have it. And now they're bringing it in house and starting to like understand how, once they started seeing numbers of how well people engage in the app, they started prioritizing a lot more and putting our right. But that was definitely not the case in 2012, 2014. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, still, I was super interested in Zalando. Zalando was growing back in the time. They went through hyper growth. And uh, then again, uh, I was approached and they were looking for mobile people because 
even in 2014, I wouldn't say that um, the company was mobile first back in the days, but they understood, okay, we need now mobile experts. They knew that first. this was the future, but they weren't quite there For yet. sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we were actually quite late, if we're really honest. We were super late. And uh, I think in Germany, we're like way far behind compared to the UK, for example, or the US. So um, yeah, they lo were looking for mobile experts. And then I joined the company end of 2014 and uh, became a product manager for the app. Yeah, I think this was a really exciting time because the whole company, uh, even though Zalando, you know, was a an online first company uh, or a digital native company, so to say, and a lot of young people worked there. It was still not easy to support people in like helping them to rethink from online or desktop first towards mobile first, because a lot of people didn't even understand what is the difference, what would I do differently if I designed for a mobile device. Then also a lot of people had the feeling, yeah, maybe they're browsing, but they're not shopping on mobile because the actual purchase is happening on desktop. But we could see these numbers like changing so rapidly um, that we knew we need to act right now, because if you wait another one or two years, there will be another company who's actually mobile first, who will just kill us. <laughs> So what we did back then is actually we came up with an initiative, um, the Mo ambassadors, like it was a kind of a word game. Ambassadors, ambassadors. Cool. <laughs> And uh, so we actually came up with that program. So we asked pretty much every team from marketing over HR to the fashion teams um, across all the different product teams. But like literally from all teams across the company to send us like one ambassador. And uh, I think... In peak times, we had like 150 people in a room and we just educated them about mobile. So we showed them, hey, look what Uber did. Hey, look what all the car sharing companies did. Like they disrupted entire industries, right? And we need to understand how mobile can really disrupt the fashion industry. And um, so we really uh, educated them about like why mobile is really important, why it's important to rethink our processes, our structures, how we create content, for example, where we always need to, to think mobile first from now on. And uh, what each of those teams can do in order to really become truly mobile first. And uh, this starts from the FAQ section that you offer, but also, for example, our press and communications department, they needed to rethink how do we communicate also more in mobile channels and so on. So we also um, started to install mobile stations with like, I think, 30 different mobile devices so people could start testing their things on mobile and always had access to test devices And that was already inside the company, basically, for people who were launching products or features to basically test their... I mean, back in the days, it was the, the, the used argument why we couldn't think mobile first. It's like, we cannot test it. We don't have access to devices. Like, you cannot... <laughs> Today, in 2000, like in 2020, you cannot even imagine um, what, kind, what kind of blockers we had just a few years ago. And... Yeah, so um, after driving this, I think we created a big bus in the company. We also ran a mobile first day and invited Uber, Facebook and Instagram and all those players, you know, to share their stories, how they how they have become a mobile first company and learn from them. So you are like a mobile advocate in Zalando. You would say that that... Basically, yeah, yeah. I called myself a mobile evangelist back in the days. Nice. What's the one thing that, I mean, you've given some examples, but what's the one initiative that you led that you're like most proud of or uh, brings you most fun memories <laughs> during your Zalando days? I think there was one which was for me somehow touching and emotional. 
So we won, uh, we somehow had a competition so people could um, hand in their selfie videos, their mobile first selfie videos, how mobile has changed their life. And, you know, we usually try to not think of like our employees only in terms of like the people like sitting in an office working for us, but the actual larger amount of our employees is in the warehouses. So um, we somehow agreed with internal communications to also include those people into this competition. Uh, so also giving them a chance to participate in our mobile first movement. And uh, in the end, I can remember that I received a video from one of the employees also in the warehouses, which was probably for me the most touching ones, because also to see what kind of diversity we do have in terms of our employees, because, you know, you have... We're sitting here in Berlin in our tech offices. I would say 50% of the people are somehow hipsters, 50% are like <laughs> tech people. You know? Yeah. you know, okay, I'm just exaggerating here a little bit or generalizing a bit. But, you know, there are also the people in the warehouse that we often forget in our daily work. And um, seeing, first of all, these people being engaged and contribute to that was mind-blowing for me because first of all uh we didn't really expect that people would be interested in that because it maybe didn't affect them yeah, so much yeah. uh but still um that the news was interesting to them and people were really engaging and sharing the old personal stories want to be part of it you know also saying hey we really support it we understand mobile is important i'm going to share my personal story but that was for me i think that's awesome the story i will never forget yeah because it was a very personal a very touching moment yeah that's very cool and you've also said you know, I've heard I've heard this quote from you saying, never trust your customers on what to build. Like, what do you mean by that? I think in general, I hear oh, when we are trying to f to figure out, OK, what should we do next? How should we evolve a feature? Um, I think it's very, very, very important to listen to your customers. But I think what's never a good idea is to ask the customer, what features do you want? Because we've seen it in N26 people asking for a certain thing, but this doesn't necessarily mean that they actually use it later on. Also, I think if you talk to users, it's also a question if they are even aware of their own needs or if they also just think of a feature because this is a solution they can imagine. Maybe our filters feature in Zalando was a good example for that. Filters are crucial for fashion e-commerce, right? Because you have tons and millions of products and it's really hard to navigate and find the most relevant things. So filters, in the end, are a tool how you can narrow down the selection to find the most relevant things for you. But people were complaining because every time they come, they have to set the same filters all over again. So a lot of people were asking for, I want to save my filters, I want to store them, let me save my filters. And I think I can also remember that a lot of stakeholders came and said, hey, have you seen all the app reviews? People want to save their filters, please let them save their filters. So there was a lot of pressure on the team also, when does it come? But we said, hey, wait a moment. Is the actual problem that I cannot save their filters or is the actual problem that they have to set the filters all over again? By actually letting the customers save their filters, we let the customers do a lot of clicks, a lot of interactions uh, and a lot of work, basically. So we were asking ourselves, is there maybe an easier way to solve the problem? And uh, what we thought is, hey, we're, track we're tracking the customer behavior anyway, so we track what kind of filters the user is using 
um, just for our own analytics reasons to improve the feature. So why can't we not make a benefit for the customer out of it? So in the end, what we came up with is a personalized solution that we actually just offer the most used or the recent used filters to the user so they don't have to set them all over again, but they also don't have to put effort into saving them. And I think what we also could see is that customers really, really love the feature. But then uh, I think in a lot of ways, I've also experienced that customers were asking for features and then in the end, the usage was maybe not so high as expected. Because I believe it's really important to get to the core of the problem or maybe a good framework for that is also the jobs to be done framework to really declutter the bigger topic. It's always easy to jump into a solution, but um, solutions are often just a copy of something else that we can imagine. And if we really get to the core of the problem, maybe we find an even better solution. And then this drives really innovation if you're not uh, yeah, falling in love with the next best solution that we have in mind. I love that. The fact that the solution that we think of, it's not necessarily the best solution, but only the best that we can imagine. I, I, I really like that. That I guess metaphor. So this is super interesting. You've, um, I mean, your work as Alando sounds really awesome, but now you actually, now you work for N26, which is really a departure from e-commerce. Like what drew you to the financial space? And tell us a little bit about N26 as well. Yeah. So uh, we're one of I would say the future banks uh, globally. So I guess this is our ambition because uh, we're not only available in the European markets, but we also launched in the US and just have reached also the first 250,000 um, users, which is super exciting um, as a European market also to go uh, yeah, globally. Um, I think our ambition is to build a bank the world loves to use. And uh, this is what we're working on all day because banking is, to be honest, these days, not very user-friendly, uh, especially coming from the traditional banks. So actually, it's very hard to open a bank account. Uh, you have to go through so many painful steps. Uh, then you have the authentication can be very painful. It takes forever. And uh, especially also, um, there's a lot of expats coming to different countries, you know, then getting the information in English is often not uh, available in traditional banks. Uh, also, there are not a lot of like kind of global solutions out there. So what we want to do is actually just make banking super easy and help people to make better financial decisions in their life. How did I uh, get to the point to actually move from fashion e-commerce to banking? Um, I think, first of all, I think still no one has really cracked fashion e-commerce today. And I think Zalando does a great job. Um, however, out there, I'm still waiting for the big innovations. But I think after working in a certain industry for a while, it's always good to to change the industry because your learning curve is insane. On the one side, of course, you bring a lot of experience, but I think in order to drive innovation is also how can, how can we use this experience in a certain industry and transform it into a different industry? Because, you know, painful uh, steps are painful everywhere. And I think a great, simple, beautiful user experience is great everywhere. So how can we even transform the learnings from industry of fashion e-commerce maybe to, 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 to the financial world? One of the fun facts is, I sometimes forget, is my mom used to work in a bank <laughs> and I actually never wanted to work in a bank. I can remember when she said when I was a kid, oh, there are these ladies in marketing. Maybe this would be something for you. And I was like, yes, great. Bank, marketing, no way. This is not me. Here I am. I'm not working in marketing though. <laughs> <laughs> I actually dreamt of working in a bank as a kid. Uh, for me, it's the opposite. I thought, because banks in Romania, anyway. But you did end up in a bank. 
Yeah, and I think uh, probably we all thought if you work in a bank as a kid, then you would get all the money. That's what I thought how banking is. But <laughs> maybe not maybe so much. Maybe why I wanted it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in general, you know, banking affects everyone. I mean, to be honest, I was never kind of a fashion girl. Um, but still, I mean, maybe this was why I, I think I had probably a different perspective on how to make fashion shopping easier, especially on such a small phone. But yeah, I mean, financial decisions affect everyone because every one of us has an account. Everyone at some point needs to save for the future. Everyone uh, wants to learn more about their spendings. We want to constantly improve, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in the financial sector, I think. And uh, what we're tr trying to do is actually help customers to um, make their financial decisions simpler, easier, and uh, more enjoyable. And I think a lot of people are just afraid of making financial decisions or even like start thinking about um, saving for the future because it freaks them out you know no one is helping them and if you to be honest you don't trust the traditional banks anymore because I mean to be honest they they screwed us over like so many times you know and uh, I think now it's time to to become more transparent uh, to, to really um, encourage but also enable every one of us to actually take their own decisions and make it just simpler and easier. And I think this is what we're, what we're working on to, to help people to reduce the complexity because everyone knows we need to do something. We need to save for the future. Uh, we need to get our finances under control, but often people have the feeling, Ugh, now already uh, in Germany, we have to say, I cannot see the forest due to all the trees, you know? So it's like, If like the the amount of things to understand in order to invest, for example, is so big. So that's why I don't even start. And I think this is also our ambition. How can we help people to um, to make maybe smaller decisions, but those therefore easier. And I think making financial decisions doesn't necessarily need to be painful. Um, and I think right now what we also did so far is basically trans bringing the paper bank statement to the mobile phone. But I think now the actual interesting part starts, how can we really innovate in that sector? And I think, for example, we have a, a great feature called Spaces, uh, where you can organize your finances just by dragging and dropping and like just put it in different pots. And it's, I think, super amazing to see how engaged people are with these features. And uh, now we also open it up that you can share those with your friends. Uh, so I think there's a lot of innovation now coming along we can just make it easier for, for people to, to deal with their finances. And I think there's much more innovation coming up in the next month and uh, years. Yeah, I think it's improving people's life with a very important topic. And that's basically money because we're living in a world of money still. <laughs> no, I mean, we still will. Even, even if you think about the new forms of payment like Bitcoin and stuff, it's still money, right? It's, it's a different currency. Exactly. It's all still money. That's super interesting. So... You've had a really interesting career. You know, you started in consulting. Like I also started in consulting, so I know uh, it's it's hard to transition, right, from consulting into 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 a job. And you were lucky enough you did this internship. But if you have advice for if there are any consultants listening, I personally had a lot of struggle being able to move and work for a startup from consulting because people told me, well, you're a generalist, you can't do anything specific. You you shouldn't. You're not the marketer. You're not a product manager. What's your advice for people trying to break in from consulting into tech? I think always, first of all, being somehow interested in how product development, for example, works. Because I think what a product manager does, there's a lot of like generalist skills needed, to be honest. 
Um, and also how you approach problems in a very structured way is something that you for sure learn in consulting. And I think these, these skills can, in the end, help you a lot later on if you transition into tech, because a lot of people are either very technical or they have a kind of a different focus. But I think, um, especially when a startup is growing or what we can also see now uh, going through hypergrowth, um, it's really important that people start also to learn to transition from more general kind of skills to more focused skills. So for example, what I learned in management consulting was, first of all, how to set up a proper presentation. And now you made laugh, but even today I can see so many people having such crappy stories and it's like, a really pain to listen to them because I think what I learned in management consulting is the pyramid principle of doing slides and how to write a story. And if everyone who's listening has never heard of the pyramid principle to do presentations or writing a story, then do it right away because it's great and it helps you thinking in terms of like a pyramid like having an ankle and then cascade it down. It helps you with so many things in life. Also, uh, breaking down company visions for your own team. I think so thinking in mental models um, really helps. And that's a skill I definitely learned in consulting. Uh, the second of all, how to approach problems in general, you know, how to say, okay, where am I coming from? What's the problem I want to solve? This is how I want to solve it. These are my next step. Like really also the project planning and how to approach a project is something that doesn't come natural for everyone. And it's super helpful to learn it in a very structured way. And I think we should also just learn more from people that did consulting before and learned it properly. I think stakeholder management is something um, that I learned during my times as a consultant as well, because clients can be very tough. So can stakeholders be, you know. So you need to learn to adjust your information to the audience. You need to understand how to deal with people in general, because not everyone wants to be your best friend and not everyone uh, is running in the same direction as you. So you need to learn how to structure your communication. You need to learn how to deal with conflict. You need to learn how to deal with different personalities. So it sounds like we should train companies that consultants are amazing instead of, and then go on going after consultants instead of, um, that's probably the bigger problem is not that consultants aren't like great for jobs like product and marketing. I think, you know, in my case, I think I ended up in a job and it was, I, I did a great job, but I think it was hard to like convince people that there's a, you know, to hire consultants. Yeah. I think it, it always depends a bit on the background because management consulting can be very numbers driven, which is great skill. However, in product, what I can see people have problems with is also understanding let's say the softer side of product management. And this is, for example, convincing people, but also the, you know, the UX design side of things. Um, also qualitative research is important. Understanding the why, uh, the importance and power of design, make uh, design driven decisions and really having, I call it maybe respect for different functions, because what I also experienced often is that people that do have a strong management consulting background, that they have a strong focus on driving the business, the business numbers, which is in the end still important, right? How I see product management is, you know, product management for me is coming up with solutions that solve customer problems and are relevant for the business. That's what ultimately drives growth, right? Exactly. If you only optimize for business KPIs without having the long-term user in mind, you will optimize for short-term and maybe even uh, destroy your product by doing that. And I, that's why I think having this empathy for the user and using those user-centered techniques is something um, which is probably, I don't know, currently not necessarily taught in, in management consulting. And I think these 
kind of UX driven techniques is something that is maybe uh, a good skill to learn. But I think if you spend time in meetups, if you spend a lot of time with designers and just exchange and learn from them, I think it's just a certain way of thinking that really helps you to, to get into these roles. I love that. I think that's great advice. And I also love the idea of this, you know, focus on the long-term growth. When you think about things, don't focus on the short-term KPIs. Think about sometimes you might have a feature that might not work in the short term. I'll always remember when Facebook introduced the feed and everyone hated it and it was a big, and like everyone was, it's the worst thing in the world. And in the short term, it like really uh, drove less engagement. In the long term, so obviously Facebook would not be where they are today without the feed. Totally. This goes back to the point that you mentioned earlier, uh, name an example where uh, you shouldn't ask users what to build because I can also remember that, you know? Yes, that's and exactly. Said, they all hate Facebook. <laughs> but in the bigger <laughs> scheme of things, first of all, now people use Facebook a lot more because of the feed. And totally. It was, I think, it's what makes a good product manager. And I think the, all the yeah. pieces of advice that you talked about are like incredibly interesting. So thank you for for every, for all your insights maybe the we can end with with one piece of advice that you have for the audience either in how they can drive growth in their companies or how they should think about growth in their career maybe an answer that um basically answers both and this is never be afraid of asking stupid questions i love that and always speak up if you have the feeling is this really right <laughs> And uh, I mean, I'm not responsible for this, but like, can we not do better? And I think these are two things that um, especially people which are maybe in an earlier stage of their career are really afraid of doing. Often women, and this is some advice I received from one of my leads, because she said, it doesn't matter if it's not your team being responsible for that, if it doesn't look great or if it's not the right thing, speak up. And also... What I just figure out all the time is like, I'm sitting often in meetings with a lot of people. I have no clue what they're talking about. And often I sit there and I think, okay, I, w I won't ask a question because then everyone thinks I'm dumb. <laughs> But then sometimes I do because when I see, I just look at people now these days. And usually I see when people are getting distracted, no one is listening. No one is understanding what's going on. So just ask a very stupid question and then suddenly you can see, hey, everyone in the room is suddenly listening because obviously no one understood. And I think it's just a waste of time if everyone sits in a meeting for 30 minutes, pretends they know what's going on. And um, no, that's amazing advice. I, I definitely I was very scared in my early days and now I ask stupid questions. And sometimes they are stupid and sometimes they drive to <laughs> a lot of change. So I think that's like amazing advice. So. Uh, we'll end on that. Don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. Think of long-term growth. Some really awesome lessons. Um, so, Christina, thank you so much for joining us for the How I Grew This podcast. I've loved all your lessons and I hope the audience does as well. So, um, yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.